I would really encourage you to watch. We did a full, um, it's just over 20 minute conversation between the two of those. And it's a really beautiful example of what we're trying to talk about in this series, which is that we believe that we are better together, that we're better together across the generations, that we're better together than um, separating apart, that we're better together than trying to do life on our own. And um, you can watch the full thing on YouTube. I really recommend you doing that. And today in our series, we began this last week, but don't worry, you can go back and catch up if you would like to on last week's message on YouTube, but you haven't missed anything that means you won't be able to follow along today. Today, we're talking about finding what unites us. And it feels like quite an apt message for Remembrance Sunday because, of course, on Remembrance Sunday, we recognize the cost of a lack of unity in our world. And we, we kind of yearn for a sense of unity amongst humanity um, but it's also a, it's a mixed one to do on Remembrance Day because whilst we long for unity, we recognize that there are great barriers to unity and there continue to be great barriers to unity in our world. But today we're going to try and go on a journey to find something that can unite us across the generations, unite us across communities, across families, across our world. Um, I have recently been reading a book called The Last Supper on the Moon, and it's a fascinating book, and it's all inspired by the events of the moon landing in 1969 and everything that led up to it, and sort of all that it represented for humanity. And in the book, he treats the moon landing as a symbol of human unity, of what we're able to accomplish, accomplish when we collaborate and work together. And he talks about the moon as this symbol for humanity to pull us together, to bring us Together. And of course, the moon landing itself was celebrated not just as a success of one person or a group of people or even a country, but the success of humanity, of what we can do when we collaborate. Obviously, people will have mixed feelings about how much the moon landing actually represents that, particularly if you were Russian at the time. But um, he talks about the fact that the moon unites us all. And he, uh, he recommends something that I actually tried out. He says, go out um, in the evening um, one night and look up at the moon and think to yourself about the fact that every human being who has ever walked on the earth and ever will walk on the earth and every human being who is on the earth right now looks up at the exact same moon, that it is always shone as a nightlight for every single human being who has ever existed. And so I did this. I went out a couple of weeks ago. There was a beautiful full moon and I stood under the moon and I looked at it and I felt this great sense of unity and peace with the fact that that same moon has been looked out at by everybody who has ever existed and everyone who will ever exist and that we are all united under that one moon. But of course, very quickly, that sort of idealistic, peaceful moment in the middle of the night comes crashing back down to earth when you actually look around the world around us the following morning. The front page uh, news headlines were, of course, about division and the opposite, not unity, but division and alienation from one another is usually what we experience more of, that we see division and alienation at work in our world, that we see it at work in our society, in our local communities. We feel it at work in our families, in our closest relationships. We long for unity, but we often experience division and alienation from each other. So it really got me thinking as I prepared this message, well, what is it that actually unites us? And it's easy to make a pithy remark about common truths that we all hold in common, like the fact that we are all human, 
That does unite us. It should unite us. But the reality is, it's not something that seems to produce a lot of unity within us. The problem with truths like that, that we are all human and all these things that we try to say where we all have this in common, is that the truth is kind of out there. It's kind of abstract to us. It doesn't necessarily feature much in the way that we interact and move through our everyday life. We don't spend all our time thinking with the fact in mind that we're all human and we all share the same common experiences and we want to live as a peaceful species. And uh, it's really interesting, anthropologists and sociologists now are all really singing from the same hymn sheet that um, what really unites humanity and what has been successful in the past in bringing people together is shared story. That humanity, we are a storytelling species, and that when we share a story with one another, we're capable of amazing collaboration, we're capable of progress, of pulling together, because stories connect truth to us. They connect truth to who we are, they connect truth to our everyday thoughts and actions and the way that we want to live. They connect truth to our actual mindset about our place in the world and the way that we want to live. There's a really interesting book by a woman called Lisa Cron, who's written a book called Wired for Story. And it's all about this fact that stories have played a tremendous role in the advancement of the human species and all the things that we've been able to accomplish. Shared story has been a really important part of that. And in this book, Lisa Cron says, we think in story. That it's, hard, it's hardwired in our brain. It's how we make strategic sense of the otherwise overwhelming world around us. And there is many such pieces of research out there that show us that stories are how we make sense of who we are and our place in the world, and that we all have stories. And in fact, what I want to talk about today is this idea that we are most united with one another when we share a common story. We saw a tiny glimpse of this right at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic when it felt as if the world was all united in a shared story, that we understood that there was a threat to our existence, that there would be obstacles that we would need to overcome, sacrifices we would have to make, but there was a common hope that we would be able to get through it, to come out the other side. That was a shared story. When I talk to my grandparents about being children in wartime, they tell me what it was like to be in a country where it felt like there was a shared sense of story. Again, a common threat that all people were feeling. The fact that they would have to make sacrifices and obstacles would have to be overcome, but a shared hope that good would prevail in the end. When we have a common story, we unite around it. Shared stories are when we are most united, but the opposite is also true. We're most divided and most alienated from one another when we have different stories or even competing stories, when we're literally not on the same page as one another. And you see what is going on in Gaza at the moment. It's not just a conflict. It's a conflict of story. It's one side has a story about how things should be, how things are. Another side has a different story, a competing story about how things should be and how things are. And whilst those two stories don't line up, there's division and alienation on both sides. And it's interesting because I wonder if actually what's going on in our world increasingly and through the generations 
is that we're more being encouraged to adopt a personal story that works for us than we are being encouraged to pick up a shared story that unites us with one another. I don't know if you recognize, I've tried to pull out some of the stories that we might see at work in our culture, some stories that certain groups of people or certain individuals or certain political parties or certain activist groups might tell and might unite a small group of people around, but stories that actually create fractures in our society. So some people might adopt the story, the world is a scary place, I am trying to survive. We might see that a lot. The world is in trouble. I am trying to save it. We see that in environmental activism. That's the strong narrative there. The world is not my problem. I am trying to protect my interests. The world is amazing. I am trying to get the most out of it. The world has gone to pot. I am waiting to leave it. The world does not accept me. I am trying to be true to myself. The world... Well, I'm just trying to do right by my family. The world needs improvements. I'm trying to make them. The world is my oyster. I am trying to explore it. The world is mine. I am trying to fight for it. Now, when we live in a world where all of these stories try to coexist, the outcome is alienation and division from one another because in many of these stories, when it goes wrong, we have to find somebody to blame. We have to find somebody whose fault it is that this isn't working. Alex, last week, opened this, story, um, this series by talking about the blame game, that it's a divider in, uh, through the generations because we're always looking for somebody else to blame for the problems we see in the world. And these stories perpetuate the blame game. The other thing about not sharing a story in common with other people in our society is that we feel very alone. We feel very isolated. We feel very misunderstood because other people don't share the story that we think we are living in. So I wonder if you recognize any of those. I wonder if you recognize them in yourself. Maybe you recognize those in a certain generation. Maybe you recognize those stories in a certain political campaign. All of these stories are ones that are being adopted into our culture, but none of them move us in the direction of unity with others, of unity with people who don't share the same story. None of them are universal human stories. So if we want unity, and more importantly, perhaps even than that, if we want the next generation to inherit unity, to inherit a shared story that can make them feel like they are connected to others, that they're not isolated, that they're not facing the world alone, then we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to the next generation to ask ourselves, is there a common story which can unite us? And I really believe that the answer is yes. And for the next few moments, I want to talk about why the story of the Bible, the story contained within the Bible, is a common story, which I think can unite us. And I know that in this room, there will be different perspectives on the val validity of the story of the Bible. And by the way, we just want to let you know that if you're here and you're not sure what you think about the Bible, you're not sure what you think about faith, you're figuring things out, 
you're, um, you're really not convinced, that's absolutely fine, and we're actually really glad that you're here. And we want to be a place where people can wrestle stuff through and figure it out, and we don't all have to believe the exact same things. We want people to be able to journey with us, no matter where they're starting from. But I am going to ask you a favor that, um, if that's you, if you're kind of a bit skeptical of the biblical story or not sure whether it's true, I'm going to ask you, just for 10 minutes, to suspend your disbelief and just weigh this story up as to whether it has any value as a universal story, as a story that can bring unity, as a shared story that can unite people. Because it is a story that has stood the test of time, and it is incredibly hard to find another story that can truly bring unity, that can truly be applied to everybody, and everybody can come under. So I'm just going to ask you to look at it just for the sake of human unity for now. And uh, we're going to go through what is this story that is woven through the Bible. The Bible is a fascinating book because it is a book, but it's a collection of books. There's 66 different books within it, and within each of those books are multiple stories. But the fascinating thing about the Bible is it tells a unified story that runs all the way through it, but it's a story that also repeats over and over and over and over again in all of the books and in all of the sub-stories within the books. And the story goes like this, and I think it's one that functions beautifully as a common story that we can unite around. The story begins in saying that the world is God's. It ends the dispute on who owns what and what belongs to who. The world is God's. Everything in it is God's. He has ultimate authority. He has the ultimate oversight. And the next thing that this story tells us is that God makes it good. That he's actually created goodness. It's woven into the world. It's not my way or your way is better. It's God's way is good. God's way is good, and he has a standard for goodness, and his way produces goodness in the world. That's what the story tells us over and over. The next part of the story is our role in the story. We make a mess. Not he makes a mess, and she made a mess, and that country made a mess, and that generation ruined it. Humanity makes a mess. We all make a mess, and we're responsible for our mess. It's something that we have in common But the incredible part of the story and the mysterious part of the story and perhaps the most shocking part of the story, and it's the part of the story where Jesus enters into the mix, is that God loves us enough to make our mess his responsibility. That when Jesus was coming into the world, he was doing it to take our mess and make it his responsibility, even though it was our responsibility. That Jesus removes the need for the blame game. He removes the need for us to point fingers because he's inviting people, just point it at me. I'll deal with it. That he makes forgiveness possible. That it makes it possible for us to wipe the slate clean with one another and with God. That Jesus came into the world to demonstrate that God loves us enough to make our mess his responsibility. It gets rid of the need for finger pointing and revenge and retribution. The things that all compromise unity. The next part of the story is that through him, through God, through Jesus, we can make the world better together until he puts everything right. That we can be united in a common purpose for the common good. That we can share in God's way and make the world better together, more like the goodness God intended for it, 
until he puts everything right, that we can also share in a common hope, that we have a common problem, that we live in a common world, a world governed by one common authority, that we have a common saviour, and that we have a common hope. That is the common story that humanity is invited to share in that's woven throughout the Bible. And every character in the Bible is introduced to us as an inheritor of this story. And they also get to choose if they want to become a participant in this story. An inheritor and a participant. And I want to introduce you to one such person who we find in the Bible. And um, he lived about 3,000 years ago, and his name was David, and he was a king. He was a king of the ancient nation of Israel. And David was a rare king precisely because he decided that he wouldn't just live out his own story, but that he would adopt, he would become an inheritor and a participant in the big story that God was weaving throughout history. That David actually neglected his own kingdom in his own legacy and investing in his own story in order to invest in God's big story. And David's mindset was completely shaped by this idea that he'd inherited this story and that he was participating in it. And we get this book in the Bible called Psalms, and it's a collection of songs, all written by, mostly written by David. And uh, these songs show us how David had adopted this story. And there's a particular psalm, Psalm 145, I'm just going to share with you now, that shows us that for David, this story gave him a great sense of unity with everything that had come before and with everyone that was going to come after him. And that this story shaped his mindset for who he was and his place in the world. So here's Psalm 145. It begins like this. I will exalt you, exalt, I will lift you up, my God, the King. It's so interesting because David is the king. David writes as the king of his land, but he opts to describe God as the king. He's acknowledging that the world is God's. Everything is God's. And he says, I will lift you up. I will give my energy to lifting you up rather than lifting myself and my own interests up. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day, I will praise you and extol, it's another fancy word for lifting up, your name forever and forever. And he goes on, great is the Lord and most worthy, more worthy than anybody else of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Here's where we see that David sees himself as an inheritor of this big story, that he says, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts that David has heard from those who have come before him about this God who runs the world, who makes it good, and who makes humans' mess his responsibility. David remembers that he has inherited a story from his previous generation, that they have passed it on to him. And then he says, they speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. You see how David sees himself in continuity with what has come before. They did this, I'm going to do this. They did this, I'm going to do this. I'm not trying to reinvent it. I'm not trying to start from scratch. I'm picking up where they left off, and I'm going to continue in participating in this story that I have inherited. He goes on, and this final bit I think is so powerful. They tell of the glory of your kingdom. 
your kingdom being when things are the way that God wants them to be. They speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. David sees this as a common story that all people may adopt, that all people may know. And he wraps up your kingdom, not his kingdom, not David's kingdom, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. In other words, David recognizes, after my kingdom is gone, your kingdom will still be here. And your dominion, your rule endures through all generations. David sees himself as part of something that began before him and will continue after him. And he recognizes that God's impact in the world will far exceed anything that he will, any impact that he will have. He recognizes that this is a common story that is being woven throughout history of an everlasting kingdom and God's dominion that endures through all, all generations, right up until the present day. And that's where you and I come in. That the invitation that kind of lifts itself off the pages of the Bible, lifts itself out of the words of David and all those who came before him and all those who come after him, is that we are invited to inherit this story. And we are invited to participate in it as well. And the good news is to inherit it, we don't have to do anything. We just get to listen to it and learn from it and be grateful for it and take it on and decide, I'm going to participate in that story as well. I'm going to respond to it. I'm going to live according to that story, that the world is God's, that he makes it good. His way makes it good, that we make a mess. I'm going to own that, but that God loves us enough to make our mess his responsibility and that through him, this is where we get to participate, through him, we can make the world better together until he puts everything right. Now, this is a story that is so much bigger than any single one of us. It's a story that's so much bigger than this time that we have on earth. And because it's a story that's so much bigger than us, that stretches from generation to generation, we have an obligation and a responsibility and an opportunity to pass it on, to pass it on. We need to pass on a common story that the next generation can unite around. If we don't want people to face isolation and alienation from one another and experience division, then we need to pass on to them a common story that can unite all of us. As I begin to wrap up, um, I don't know if you've ever been to see the Bayer Tapestry in France. It's an amazing, amazing spectacle. If you ever get the opportunity to go, it's a 70-meter-long embroidery. 70 meters. I was really racking my brains as to how I could get that across, and I can't. But it's very long. 70 meters, wider than this building. Much wider. 70-meter-long um, tapestry, but it tells one unified story all the way through, a unified story of um, the, the conquest, of William the Conqueror's conquest in 1066. And it depicts that story in lots of little scenes, lots of little separate scenes that all come together to tell this unified story. There's an amazing unity of style to it. It's absolutely incredible. And actually, people are really baffled as to how it came to exist. We don't know precisely the process. We don't know how many people worked on it. We don't know how long it took. There must have been some kind of oversight to give it this incredible 
unity, but we don't know. But to fill in the gap of what we don't know, we're going to use our imaginations today. And I just want you to imagine for this final moment that you have been employed as an embroiderer on this project. The men are like, oh gosh, this is terrible. Um, no, no, sorry, that landed badly. Um, so you have been employed as an embroiderer on this project. And uh, this, you've inherited a story that began before you. You've inherited this story of this conquest, this big story that you're a part of. And you can look 45 meters to your left, and there's this massive story that stretches out on that side. And on this side, there's the beginnings of what's going to come next in the story, beginning to materialize around you. And then there's just a big empty space as the room goes out on the other side. And you know that it's going to continue on for meters and meters after you. And you know that your job is just to participate in telling your little scene. Your little scene. And so, and eventually, you're not going to see the finished work. You'll have to pass your needle and thread on to somebody else who can pick up where you left off and keep embroidering that story as it continues on. You won't ever get to see the finished story. But one day, someone will step back and they will look at this massive tapestry and they will get the big story, this one unified, unbroken story. That's like you were invited to live. You are invited to live as an inheritor of a story that began long before you were born, and you're invited to be a participant in a story that will continue long after you. And it's a story that God has been weaving throughout history. He had the first word on it. He will have the last word on it. And our most important job in the in-between is to pass it on, to participate in it and to pass it on. And so I'm going to give you one final challenge, and I'm going to invite the band up as I do. Take every opportunity you have, every opportunity, in your family, in your community, in your work, in the conversations you have, in the interactions you have, every opportunity to pass this story on to somebody younger than you, with your words, with the stories that you tell, with your actions, with the way that you live, and most importantly of all, perhaps, with your legacy. Let your legacy tell that big unified story that began before you and will continue long after you, rather than just the story of what happened between the day you were born and the day you leave this earth. So we're invited to be part of a much richer tapestry that's woven throughout all of history. And of course, a common story, it doesn't guarantee unity. There's still lots of things, because humans make a mess, there are lots of things that get in the way. But it does make unity possible. It puts unity on the table when we have a common story, because we're never more united than when we share a story together. And who better to look for, for our common story, than the one who holds the world, who makes it good, who loves us enough to make our mess his responsibility, who wants to work in and through us to make the world better together, and who one day promises to put everything right. 
we're going to finish with a really beautiful song, which really just celebrates that God's role in this story is so far beyond any role that we could ever play, that the story he is weaving throughout history is beautiful and worth being a part of. And I really want to draw your attention to the final part of this song that gives us an amazing promise that we will get to see the end of the story and that we will experience at that point perfect unity with one another and with God.